0: All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck, and if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tenassi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tenassi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Start ritual or add Essential for Women 18 plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for twenty five percent off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life Podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. I don't consider myself an alcoholic, you don't have to either, and maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey, and I'm so excited to get started. Well, I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thank you. Me too.
0: You're on the Real Sober Mom Chats. I think we finally decided on a name. It only took me like a year, but that's what we're calling it.
1: Okay. I like it.
0: Okay. So let's talk about before sobriety. Let's start with your relationship with alcohol.
1: Okay. So alcohol has always been like really center stage in my life, even as a child. So I didn't have like a typical upbringing. I actually grew up at a ski resort. Both of my parents worked at a ski resort my whole childhood.
0: Really? Okay, so that sounds glamorous, but it's probably not.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of really fun, unique things about growing up that way, but it was also like a lot of partying was the culture. And so. Both of my parents worked there and my aunt and uncle worked there also. So I had cousins with me. So we kind of basically just like lived there and grew up there. And it was just the culture too that all the adults after the resort closed down, they would all drink at the bar every night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you when you were there? How old were you?
1: This was from when I was born till like high school, basically. Oh, so like your
0: whole... Oh, wow. Okay, so that's that's a lot. What do you remember about that time, like being a little kid and seeing your parents party?
1: So my dad in particular did drink excessively. And it was always like more of a priority for him. So like both of my parents definitely did party, but my mom like took care of me a little more in the fact that like, you know, she made sure that I was getting home and dressed and doing homework and all of that. But I do remember like most of my memories of my dad growing up is of him being really drunk. He also had like a really short temper, so it could go from good to bad, like right away. And it usually did. I don't really remember a lot of good times, unfortunately. And I Mm. do remember like being scared of him mostly.
0: Yeah. Because when you don't know what to expect from a parent, I mean, that's really scary for a kid.
1: Yeah. And,
0: you know, when you're little, you don't even know to tie it back to alcohol. You just know that like dad is acting different and not like he normally would.
1: Yeah. And so there was like a lot of bad memories. Like I remember him driving his truck into the house when he was drunk.
0: Oh man.
1: There was times where things like got physical and me and my mom had to leave. I remember like going and staying with her friends and stuff and like just not really fully understanding what was going on. I mean, I knew my dad was drinking and like that was part of it. But yeah, it was always just like really unstable, and I didn't have like a normal family situation.
0: You have brothers or
1: sisters? I have an older brother, but he has a different dad, and he lived with his dad.
0: Okay, so it was you like you were on your own in trying to navigate this adult world.
1: Yeah. And and I grew up in a lot of bars. I mean, like, I just remember, like, growing up in bars and, like, getting quarters.
0: Oh, my God. The quarters. My brother and I always <laughs> talk about the quarters because we did, too. And so yeah. we would always go to my dad and be like, can I have, can we have more, qu-? like, it was always more quarters. And uh, then yeah. we would be like, if there wasn't good, like, video games, we would be like, I guess we could play with the cigarette machine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with those, like, long things. And we're like, pull them out and then pop them back in. Like, that's kind of fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Shirley Temples and Quarters kept me occupied at bars for years. Yes. Yeah. So that was how it was growing up. And then I remember like not liking the situation and thinking that it was like scary and unstable for me. I remember like recognizing that as a young child and like thinking like I never want to be like them when I grow up. Like I don't want to have be that kind of parent. I don't want my kids to grow up in this type of environment. Like I do remember like as a young child like thinking that when I grew up I was going to be different. I wasn't going to be this type of person that was drunk all the time or constantly at bars because it just never really felt right to me even as a kid.
0: Yeah, it never feels right. That's such a good way to put it because you don't know what it is, but you're like I I know this isn't right. This doesn't feel yeah. good.
1: So then when I got into high school, I had an older cousin and she was only one year older than me, but she was dating someone older than her. And so I kind of got swooped in with her friend group and they were like pretty big partiers and they were older. So when I was a freshman, I started going to parties with like juniors and seniors and like drinking with them. And so I remember the first time getting drunk off vodka and I remember thinking the first time like, oh, this is why everyone does it. Like I liked the feeling the very first time.
0: Yeah. You were like, oh, finally. Like I remember that too. And mine was vodka too. I remember feeling that like, it was kind of like a sigh of relief, like, oh, okay. And then I remember my ears getting very red.
1: Yeah. And you like feel good. I mean, especially like the first couple of times when you get that buzz feeling, I'm thinking like, wow, this is like why? But I even remember thinking like, okay, like this is why people like to get drunk and, you know, maybe I'll party like in high school and as a young person, but like still with that thought in my mind, like not when I grow up, like I don't want to be like that when I grow up, but I'm a kid and I'm going to party with the best of them. And that was the environment. So I grew up in like such a small mountain town. And really what everyone does is goes out and throws kagers in the woods like every weekend. Yeah. Like that's what we did. Like my high school could be like a movie, like typical, like everyone goes out kagers. like the freshmen would get paddled. Like I was a cheerleader. So wait. I ran with that crowd.
0: Wait, 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 wait. The freshmen would get paddled?
1: Yeah, like freshmen that would come to parties, like you'd have to get paddled or you'd have to leave.
0: Like on the ass? Is this what I'm thinking?
1: Yes, like with a big wooden paddle, yes. With a
0: big wooden paddle, like bend over. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So some initiation, like rush situation. I don't situation. know why that's a
1: thing, but that was like a thing.
0: You're like, of course people got paddled. I'm like, hold on. Yeah, and then
1: okay. if you could take it, they could drink with us. Like that's just kind of like how it was.
0: Okay, yeah, I get it. Different areas do different things. Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I kind of fell in with that like party group. And then I had my first like what should have been like a big wake up call pretty quickly. So I was 16. And I had been partying um, all night in the woods with my friends. And I had to wake up really early and drive back up to the resort. um, Because by this time, I too worked at the resort during the summer. It's like a camping and lake resort. And during the winter, it's a ski resort. So it's year round. So I was driving back up to work and um, I fell asleep while I was driving and Mm -hmm. I drove my car off of a 50 foot cliff and I took down two huge trees.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: I just kind of woke up to like a lot of banging and like not really knowing what was happening. And I like, opened my eyes and like I saw that my review mirror was had fallen off and I was like, oh shit my parents are gonna kill me my review mirror is broken like what did I do and then I like looked around and realized like I had totally just wrecked my whole car
0: oh my god and
1: so that was super scary and we were off a cliff I did actually have a friend with me and I think the fact that we were like, probably still drunk uh, from the night before or so hungover and tired that like, It's part of the reason why we survived this incident because we just kind of like fell asleep in the car, but...
0: Wow. And you guys weren't hurt or anything? Like We were not
1: very hurt. We just had like minor bruises and cuts, no major injuries, like thank God. So being in a small town, one of my really good friend's dads was the fire chief and he Mm. was one of the first people on the scene. And he smelled alcohol on my breath and called my parents immediately to pick me up and get me out of there so that I didn't get in trouble. So that was nice. And I'm glad that I didn't get a DUI in that event. But, you know, maybe something like that could have taught me a lesson initially. Well,
0: it's hard when the adults in your life are drinking a lot, right? Because like, what can they say? Yeah. Like, what did your parents say? Did you get in trouble? I never
1: got in trouble. Like, yeah, I, I, right. I don't know how I didn't get in trouble, but like, I but really didn't. Because like, like,
0: how could they, it makes it really hard to parent when the parent is doing the thing that you're trying to tell the kid not to do. And the kid's yeah, like, oh, 100%. Great.
1: And like, looking back, I was kind of thinking like, "Ooh, my parents are so cool. Like, I didn't even get in trouble. But like, right. really, in reality, there should have been a lot of conversations surrounding that incident that never happened. So there really was no repercussions from that other than the fact that I didn't have a car anymore. So that was like early in high school, like my sophomore year. Shortly after that, my parents ended up getting a divorce and my mom and I left and we moved like down the mountain more towards like where the majority of people lived in the town. And my friends all lived down there. It's about like 45 minutes away from the resort where I grew up. Me and my mom moved into this like small, like basement apartment thing that was just like a one bedroom and we had bunk beds and I didn't really talk to my dad that much. I never like really went to see him or anything. There was like a lot of animosity about my mom leaving and he kind of like dumped me in the bucket with her, like we left him. And so he kind of like neglected me. So during that time my mom like started dating and um she wasn't really around much and no one really watched me. Oh. I just like had freedom like to do whatever. And so I mean she probably asked where I was where I was and what I was doing and I probably lied or told her I was at a friend's house when I was really out partying and doing things like that but there just like really wasn't a lot of oversight and so I kind of just would do whatever I want and nobody really monitored me.
0: That's so hard and heartbreaking. Like do, do you feel so sad for yourself when you think back about that?
1: Yeah, there is like anger about it and and frustration like being an adult now like both of my parents went through a lot themselves like in their life so i do try to give them grace for like doing the best that they could and my mom she always did like my mom and i are really close she's my best friend and Like she did always make sure I had what I needed and everything, but like she was going through a hard time in her life too at that time. So, right.
0: I know it's so hard. You and I have similar kind of stories in that, you know, my mom's my best friend. And then, but when you become a mom, stuff comes up that you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I can't imagine making those decisions. But the message sometimes that we get, When there are no consequences, when there's no oversight, when when no one's paying attention, when other priorities are placed in front of our care and our, you know, is that we're not worth it. And that's the message that I got like that yeah. i was like well i am just not lovable enough like I, if i was probably more or maybe less it would be different right cuz when you're a yeah. kid you don't you don't know that your mom is like just doing the best she can like y- you just think she's making the right choice like the parents are right and that's if anything feels like unsafe or wrong or how it shouldn't be that it's your fault somehow
1: yeah so that was kind of like how high school went and I I always did get really good grades and I think that was part of it too. I was always doing extracurricular activities and in clubs and I was a cheerleader and I was getting really good grades. I graduated at like the top of my class and got accepted into a great university. So I think like I wasn't like failing in life or like falling through the cracks like where she needed to attend to me. So I was just able to party with the best of them and keep up my grades. And so everything just kind of went like that
0: that's so interesting, isn't it? Mine's like the same, which I wonder if that's a drive to be like, okay, well, I won't need anybody then, right? I I can do this. Like, I got it. I'm going to succeed and I'm going to do the best I can. Like, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to be better. And yeah, that that you're like, okay, so I don't don't actually need a mom. It's fine. Or a dad, you know, (laughs) It's,
1: it's fine. I got it. Yeah. yeah, I had to become independent pretty quickly. Yeah. Then I went to college. You know, the party life really continued there. I joined a sorority and um it was normal for everyone to just drink till they black out or puke like every weekend. That was just like the regular thing. No one really thought anything of it. I mean, I could definitely like party with the best of them and keep up and everything, but it wasn't like my drinking was like significantly abnormal from any of my friends in college.
0: Yeah, so there wasn't like no alarms going off, being like, no. Hey, what's going on? It's like, no, this is just what we do. Yeah. Totally.
1: So then I lived during college I lived in Ireland for a year. Oh wow. So I did go to university there, but it was mostly just drinking, to be honest. To- like totally. <laughs> I mean I, I went imagine. to classes, but yeah. Like, I I did have a professor there that had us meet him at the pub for a beer before class and he would buy us all a beer and then we'd walk across the street to go to the class like after like every class. Yeah, it was just like a class I had like two days a week, but that was the plan. Like everyone met at the pub and then he would buy the whole class around and we'd then walk over and then he would just like sing guitar songs on his like little guitar. And like he was just like a little leprechaun teacher. Like, he was- <laughs> on his little guitar. That's so
0: funny. I'm picturing like a, like a, really, like a baby guitar. That yeah. is so funny. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. So the culture there was obviously a lot of drinking and I actually became a certified Irish whiskey teacher. when I lived there from the Jameson distillery. So Uh, I was just like drinking a lot of whiskey and they give you a certificate. And (laughs) you're
0: like, I'm hanging this up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did. Of course. Yeah. So it was just like always centric in my life. And then after college, I actually moved to Napa. So that again was like a lot of drinking and wine culture. And so my boyfriend, but he was my boyfriend at the time, my husband. Now he was in the industry also. So we didn't really have to pay to wine taste. So we would just like wine taste for free every weekend. And that became like our new hobby. So then we got into a lot of wine drinking.
0: Oh my God. And going to Napa. I mean, I've only been there once on my honeymoon and yeah, like I can't imagine living there. It's, it would be like me now, like working in a at like Dunkin' Donuts or something. It would be like very, very dangerous.
1: Yeah. And it's so beautiful there. And like, I love good food. And so it was kind of like the culinary scene and the wine scene. And it was like a little more mature than, you know, keggers that we used to have in the woods. (laughs) No more paddling. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm an adult now. We drink wine, we go wine tasting, it's fancy, you know, so...
0: It totally is the glamorized version of all of it, right? It's like, yeah. no, 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 like this is not ethanol. This is like a high class wine, you guys, right?
1: Yeah. So there was that. And then I ended up getting a job um, at a hospital. And it was kind of there where it really was opening my eyes. Like when I first started in the hospital, I was working in the ICU a lot. And pretty much every single person was there related to alcohol related stuff. Like I was like shocked, like I'm not even kidding, like in a hospital in general, like I would say like 80% of the people like have alcohol issues and, and that's why they're there, like in their history. And I remember thinking like, this is scary. And like, I have been drinking a lot in my life, like since I was, you know, a teenager and like, That was my first, like, you're going to have to stop drinking because look at all these people in here that are dying because they drink their lives away. And like, I'm not saying like every person, but it's like, you see these people in there with cancer or all these other things. And it's like, they have history of alcohol abuse. It was like pretty much everybody had a history of alcohol abuse. It would be really rare to find someone that was chronically ill in the hospital that didn't have that. I mean, people do get cancer for other reasons or other, you know, chronic issues, but it was really eye-opening to kind of see that. And and I remember like kind of red flags going off, like you're going to need to change your behavior or you're going to end up just like this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's like terrifying, right? It feels like a big task, right? To be like, okay, yeah, I have to change. What? What?
1: And I kind of always felt like my partying was like a young thing. And like when I grew up, I would like grow out of it. Or like when I got married and became a mom, like I wouldn't have the want to party anymore. Right. And it always felt like I was maybe like filling a hole of something and that that hole would be like a husband and kids and like my own family since I just never really had like a family I kind of felt like that was like my gap. And then like maybe one day when I have my own family, like I wouldn't have a desire to want to drink. But that wasn't really the reality, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you got married.
1: So yeah, I got married. And then pretty quickly in my career, I w- went from like entry level to being promoted to a director level in the hospital within like the first year and a half of my career. Oh, wow. So That was a lot. And I was significantly younger than most of my peers. They probably could have been like my parents' age. And so um, that was a really big struggle and a lot of stress. And so after having... We got married and we had our first son in 2017. And after that, we decided that my husband was going to be a stay-at-home dad because he worked a lot of nights and weekends. He's in the brewery industry. So another thing, but he worked a lot of nights and weekends and we just didn't really want to like pass the baby between us. We wanted to be like a central family unit and I was making really good money in my role. So we were financially stable for him to quit his job and be a stay at home dad. And so we did that. And I think during that time, there was a bit of definitely like a change in our drinking habits he didn't work. So he would have a, you know, a beer five o'clock every day. And our, our drinking kind of went from more of like a social young person party scene to like, just like an everyday habit at home.
0: Yeah. So like fitting it into the cracks of life, right? Yeah. And so coming home, doing the unwind thing, and then drinking together.
1: Yeah. And my job was so, so stressful. And so like, I just felt like I was using it as a coping mechanism. But like, when I got home, like I wanted to wind down and have a beer and like, that's what he was doing every day. And so we just kind of fell into that habit. Um, It's not like we would get drunk every night, but we definitely had like one or two beers a night. Yeah. Or wine or whatever. So then there was kind of an incident that occurred, and I'd say this was probably like one of my biggest rock bottom incidences. So we went to a friend from college's wedding, and it was really fun. I was a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in a really long time. So it was kind of like a little mini reunion. I was having a great time we got there, we were drinking, I was hanging out with my best friend, who was also there who we don't get to see each other as often anymore. So we were really hanging out having a great time. And like, I remember like, we were in the bathroom together, like doing the girl thing, like, Oh, I love you so much. and You know, like, whatever girls do in the bathroom when they're drunk. <laughs> right. And then <laughs> um, like the next thing I knew, I like woke, I was waking up and I was in the emergency department of a hospital oh, and wow. I had like absolutely no idea what had happened. Like I didn't know if I had gotten in an accident or like I had no idea. It was like someone shut off my brain and like I just woke up in a completely different place. And my husband was there and. And I like grabbed my phone and I had a text from my best friend that was basically like, you've embarrassed me like so horribly, like we are not friends anymore. No. And I had no, I seriously had no idea what had happened. (laughs) Apparently what had happened is that I like passed out at a table sitting down and my husband had tried to get my best friend to, like, help me to the car or something. I'm still, like, not 100% because I get a little bit different versions. But yeah, she didn't want to, and they ended up, like, getting in a big argument. And that was, like, caused a scene. And someone from the venue called an ambulance, and they, like, came and they took me away in an ambulance.
0: Okay, so... The most embarrassing, it does not sound like the most embarrassing thing. I mean, I just feel for you, like for you in the hospital bed, getting that, cause you're already in the shame yeah. spiral. You're already like, Oh my God, what the, Fuck is happening, right? And then to get that text is like our worst yeah. nightmare after a blackout because you instantly think, What did I do? What did I say? And then to read that, you're like, Yeah, oh, no. I mean, I
1: thought I had just like lost my best friend too. So it was just right. Like you're like,
0: what on earth did I do? Okay. So you passed, yeah, you passed out.
1: I mean, I didn't do anything like horrible. Like and, and I am known for like saying things I should not say when I drink. Like, and and that has happened a bunch of times. And so It was hard because it was like, I didn't do anything outrageous. Like I didn't cause a scene or break something or hurt anybody, but everyone was like, so mad at me. It was really hard because it was like, I didn't even know what happened. I had no memory of it. It felt so out of my control. And then like all my friends like hated me.
0: Oh, that's just the worst feeling.
1: It was really bad. And so... My best friend and I talked like shortly after that. She apologized for the text. She had been drinking too, and she kind of wrote it in like a drunken, angry state. But we probably didn't really talk for like a month at least. And then it took a while to repair our relationship because I kind of felt like everyone was being a little mean to me about it. And then, like, I didn't have any compassion from anybody.
0: Yeah. And that's the hard part when you're already deep in shame at that moment. Like and like that's the last thing you need is then everyone to point the finger and say, What's wrong with you when it's not you.
1: Right. And that's how I felt. Like it felt like they were thinking that I like did this intentionally, you know. It was like like, purpose. There was nothing intentional about this. Like there was no malicious behavior. So it was just kind of like I felt really abandoned and alone. And like, I knew like I had a problem with my drinking. And so it's like, I wasn't saying it out loud to anybody at that time, but that was like a really like, I felt like I couldn't trust myself at all. Like, how could something like this happen that was so out of my control? I just felt like I had no ability to trust myself.
0: Oh, man. I think everyone listening to this knows exactly that feeling. I know I do. Yeah. I know exactly that feeling and it's so, it's so scary. We're taught that the answer is just to try to control alcohol better.
1: Yeah. Like when you felt like you were getting drunk, just like stop drinking. Like I I didn't even get that. Like that's the thing. It's like I was having a great time. It's never like – I realized like, Oh man, I've been, I I've had too much to drink. I also like didn't eat that day. So that was what the problem was. I just like never would learn my lesson about like eating.
0: Well, totally. But also the problem is the alcohol. I know. Yeah. And not you and not how that you drank it wrong. And that you like, you were literally out of your mind because alcohol like hijacks our brain and takes over. Yeah, And I, anyone who's ever blacked out and I feel like you're either a a blackout drinker or you're not. And it's something biological and all of that science stuff. But I d- I was. I was a blackout drinker. And it is. There's no warning signs. The warning sign is like the first glass of alcohol, right? right? The first drink is a warning that, yeah, this could be a blackout. And you just don't know. It's sometimes it's not even based on how much you're drinking. Not to be able to, like, say... I know it's gonna happen and I can trust myself. When you can't say that, it's terrifying. Yeah. Because normally you could like you are trustworthy. Yeah. And you are, and like I was trustworthy and I was a kind person. But then when alcohol's in the picture and you just have to like cross your fingers, it's so scary.
1: Yeah. And, and I definitely like lost friends over that incident. Like there is still people who haven't talked to me like since that day, like the bride being one of them, like I apologized to her, of course, but she didn't. And and that's, that's fine. I mean, I understand, like, you know, I caused a scene at her wedding and, and whatnot, but like even one of my best friends from college, like never really talked to me after that. So.
0: Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That's really, really hard. Yeah.
1: That was a really dark time in my life. And so, like, kind of, I I just didn't really know what to do. And we wanted to have a second baby. And I kind of had thought in my head, like, well, I stopped drinking the first time I got pregnant. So if I get pregnant again, I'll stop drinking. And then maybe I can just stop drinking forever. Like, that was my plan. Like, just don't drink again once you have the baby. Then I had my second baby, March 9th, 2020. So we're all familiar with March of 2020. Ooh, yeah. When we got home from the hospital, it was basically like the world went on lockdown. So I had just like a newborn and we were home and cut off from everything. And it was like, well, what is there to do? You know, drink. And so like, I had a newborn.
0: Yeah, and like how to cope with all of that. Like that's a really fucking hard thing. And so yeah.
1: So we weren't drinking like, I mean, I did have a newborn and I was breastfeeding, but it was like, we were fitting beers in here and there when we could. And my husband working for a brewery, he would go get cases of beer from the brewery and bring it home. So like, we always had ample amount of of alcohol. And so my whole thought, I mean, you know, you go 10 months without alcohol and you forget all the horrible things. So it's like my plan of like, maybe Holy. I won't drink again after the second, maybe like, It just all kind of flew out the window with the pandemic and like being distanced from that incident that had occurred and everything. And so then, like, the drinking just pretty much ramped back up. And when I went back to work, stuff was getting just like really horrible at work. And I was dealing with like a harassment issue from an employee and I was having a really hard time and I was drinking to cope. And I ended up having a panic attack at work. I, like, went out to my car because I started to have a panic attack, and I went and sat in my car, and then I, like, couldn't breathe. So I called one of my employees in the hospital, and they came out and got me and took me to the emergency room. That was really rough because I never really had anything happen like that before.
0: That feels like you're going to die. Yeah. A panic attack feels like you are dying.
1: And I never really had a lot of, like, anxiety, like, just – I'm not an anxious type of person. So it was like, when I started to have like those types of feelings, like it was just really foreign to me. And so that was bad. And like, I knew I had been like drinking to cope with a lot of stress at that time. And that definitely wasn't helping this situation. I, I could recognize that. And like, I went to the doctor and Talked to them. And like, never once did they like ask me about my drinking or anything. Like basically they offered to give me medication and told me I should find a different job.
0: (laughs) I mean, which they failed you. Yeah.
1: And yeah, that's just (laughs) unfortunate. But like, I knew that I had to change my drinking and I knew that if I continued to work there, like there would be no way that I could, because I just like, it was such a horrible environment. But it was really stressful because I was the sole breadwinner for my family. I have two kids. We own a home. We have cars. My husband didn't work anymore. And I'd kind of like reached my maximum potential there because I was promoted so early. I was like in the highest role that I could be in. So there wasn't really anywhere more for me to go. And... I just felt so, so trapped. Like I couldn't quit my job. There was no other jobs around here that would provide that kind of money to me. I didn't want to have to move our whole family. And so I just like felt so, so suffocated and trapped. And like, oh, totally, I can't quit drinking and I can't quit my job. So that was a really hard time. But I did eventually, like the panic attack happened in like October of 2020, I think. Yeah. I kind of came to the realization, like I had to change something. I had to do something. And I knew the first step was like quitting that job to be able to get myself healthier. So I did. And that was really scary because I just quit without having a job, without any of us having a job, but I had to do it. Yeah. So luckily I was able to get another job in town that was kind of like a stepping, just a stepping stone just to like get me out of that job.
0: Yeah, good for you to put your mental health first. Like that's that's huge. That's brave.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a really hard choice, but it was it was still to this day that's one of the best things I've ever done. So, then I was kind of like, okay, now like you're you're out of there. Like now what? And that's when like family history stuff like started to just weigh like really heavy on my mind. So, Growing up, my dad's parents, they both were deceased before I was born, and i we didn't really talk about it. And then I found out later when I was growing up that they were both really big alcoholics, and my dad actually found his mom dead in the backyard when he was 16 from drinking. Oh, my gosh. So I'm sure that's another reason why like, my dad is the way that he is. That's a really traumatic experience. That was like really weighing heavy on me, like that my, you know, maternal grandmother had literally like drank herself to death. And my grandfather was an alcoholic too. And he was a pilot. And I did like one of those like DNA 23andMe or whatever it is. And I found out that like he was known for like drinking and flying planes. Like he was just like a drunk pilot And he flew commercial airlines too. And so um, there was like a lot of information about that, that I I didn't really know any of this until I did that DNA test and like started connecting with like these family members that I had never known. And so that was like really heavy on me. And then I also like had a discussion with my uncle. So my mom's mom died when I was five but I just don't really remember it. And then I was drinking with my uncle and we were having a talk about her for some reason. And I kind of said, like, I just don't even really know what she died of. And he was like, well, she drank herself to death. And then it was like, I just remember like crying because I was like, I'm drinking myself to death.
0: Oh, that was like a realization. Like it was just like one after the other, right?
1: Yeah. And it was kind of like, I have to be the one to stop this. Like, and so I just really didn't know what to do. Like I had never known a life without alcohol. I, I didn't know what that would look like at all. I didn't know any adults that didn't drink. Alcohol had been part of my life like since I was born. So it was like, I just had no idea. I thought like I'd have to go to a rehab or do something like extravagantly embarrassing. And so I just like really was at a loss. So I think I had been like researching or like looking up online, like how to quit drinking or like, who knows? I like make this joke in my head that Facebook saved my life. But like, I really (laughs) do think Facebook saved my life because like this ad came up on my feed for this hypnotherapy for quitting drinking, or it was actually called controlling alcohol. And so it was like a hypnotherapy program that you could purchase that you do at home. And it was to be able to control your alcohol consumption. So the goal wasn't to stop drinking, but to control drinking. And at the time I thought maybe that would be better because like, if I had to stop altogether, then I'd have to like declare myself an alcoholic and go to rehab and and do all this. So I was thinking, if I can just learn to control it, then I don't have to do that. And so I ended up buying that and um, I didn't tell my husband about it and he didn't I, I never really like openly like discussed my my fears and concerns about my drinking with him. He drank with me all the time. I do think he probably started drinking more when he met me. And so I always kind of had a little bit of guilt about that too. Like, well, the reason he drinks so much is because he's married to me. So (laughs) So I would listen to these hypnotherapy sessions like in the middle of the day. So at, at this point I work from home and so nobody's here during the day. So it was like, I can just take like 20 minutes during my lunch and listen to this. And then I definitely did notice a change. Like I would go to have a drink and it was like, I didn't want it. And then I would like taste it and it wouldn't like even taste good to me, but I couldn't not drink it. Like it was the strangest, like I didn't want to drink it, but I couldn't not drink it. So it was like a really weird, like mental pull. But it was the first time where I did actually like feel the sensation of not wanting to drink. I knew something was working and my son was going to be five. And my goal was to like, try to get in a spot where I could like control my, my drinking like by his birthday. Like I had kind of set that little goal. So this was last fall 2022 and it was September that I started this but my husband didn't know I was doing this. And so his nightly habits continued. And so it was like, he would crack us open beers. And there was a couple times where I said like, no, I just don't want one. And then it would like be fine. But I just felt like so uncomfortable. Like, I felt like I wanted to tell him, but I was embarrassed. And so I did end up keeping on drinking. And there was like an event where it was a party and and I said like, okay, you're gonna like do a really good job of like moderating your drinking and like, you're only have this many and like, as soon as you feel like you're gonna start to like get a little bit too drunk, like, stop, like, be really mindful. And it was like, I didn't like I went to this party, I ended up blacking out. I I didn't do anything horrible and nobody, you know, said anything to me. And my husband said I was fine. It was just like at the end when I left, I just don't really remember the drive home. And, but I was just like, so disappointed in myself. And I just realized like, you just can't do this. Like you're just going to have to stop. And like, it did really weigh heavy on me too. like, I don't want my kids growing up around alcohol the way that I did. I just felt like I was setting them up to take the same path that I was taking and the same path everyone before me in my family has taken. And so I just felt like I would get—I was going to be failing them. And I just knew it was going to be the biggest regret of my life if I didn't get sober. Yeah. So on this hypnotherapy You also get to join their Facebook group. And a lot of people in the Facebook group were mentioning this naked mind and how in combination with the hypnotherapy and reading that book, it can be really helpful because the whole point of the hypnotherapy is to like change your subconscious. And that's like the whole point of the naked mind. So they were recommending like to do that. So I kind of just came up with a plan and I was like, okay, January 1st, like the hypnotherapy was like offering like a dry January package to like eliminate drinking. So that was like a little bit different than what I was doing before because it was focused on elimination rather than controlling. And so I got the book and I got downloaded all those hypnotherapies to do the dry January and I just, I I wanted to say like, I'm quitting forever, but I just had like, I didn't know, like I hadn't ever been successful in my efforts previously to like do this. So I was like, I'm just going to tell my husband that I'm going to do dry January. And that way, like if I fail it, like it's not as bad as like making a commitment that I'm never going to drink and then failing at that. So I just figured it would be less of a failure if I failed at dry January. <laughs> So I told him that's what I was going to do, and then I told him a lot about, like, I do feel like I have a drinking problem, and this is something that, like, weighs really heavily on me, and so I opened up with him a lot about that. He agreed to do Dry January with me, and he also, like, admitted that, you know, he felt like he does drink too much, too, and that it's not good, and, like, he, he completely was supportive. So... We decided to do that, and, like, on New Year's Eve, I, like, drank every single of my favorite things. Like, I yeah. just, like, knew I had to make, like, this grand exit out of my drinking <laughs> life, so I had, like, champagne, whiskey, like, a stout, <laughs> an IPA. Like, I had, like, one of every single thing that day. yeah.
0: You're like, I'm really going to make this count. Yeah, I did. I did. And
1: I just like remember and I was like, okay, I'm going to set my drink down like at 1159. Like I'm not going to cheers at midnight. And like I like took my last sip and I set it down and like I just like felt so much relief like in that moment. Like, oh. oh, that was it. Like I've drank it all at this point. I'm done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The relief.
1: I, I was of course a little bit drunk because I had like drinking everything in the world that day, but I wasn't like blacked out or anything. It was a strange day. It felt like for some reason, like I wasn't really getting that drunk, even though I was drinking everything. It was like, my mind just like knew, but like, I woke up the next morning on the first and I was just like, Oh, like so much. Like the first thought in my head was like, you never have to be drunk again.
0: Oh, how amazing is that?
1: So I was like committed to doing that. And I felt comfortable like telling people that we were doing dry January because we would do like things before, like we eat really healthy and exercise and like do all that kind of stuff. So we would take breaks from drinking for like certain exercise programs and, and that kind thing. So like, I didn't have like a problem telling people. But then I like did tell my best friend, it was like a weekend. And she like said something to me like, is this a permanent thing or just a January thing? And then I kind of just like broke down and told her like, I want this to be a forever thing. Like that was my goal. So it felt good to open up to her. And then like dry January was going really well. And It was actually like not as hard as I thought it was going to be. I feel like the battle of moderation and like trying to do that was so, so, so hard. And I was just like constantly trying and constantly failing and constantly feeling like a piece of shit. And so it was like once all of that was off the table and it was just like, I'm not drinking, like it's not an option, like I'm just not going to. I already made that decision and it was done. It was so much easier. Then I kind of felt like, okay, like, I I think I can make this a forever thing. Like, I feel comfortable making it a forever thing. And I know a lot of people, like, don't like to say that, like, I'm never drinking again. But, like, for me, like, that's where I finally, like, I, I like saying that because, like, that locks it in for me. Like, I don't want the question around, like, maybe someday or maybe here and there. Like, when I say I'm done forever and I'm saying it out loud to people... And now I'm on a podcast saying it, like, and it's got to stay because I can't go back on it anymore.
0: Right. And and this idea, like your first thought was like, I never have to be drunk again. Like, that's powerful. and That's what the forever thing means to you. Like, I never have to be in alcohol's grips again. I never have to let it trick me. I never have to allow it to make me feel like I can't trust myself. Like, I never have to go back there. And that there's so much power in that.
1: Yeah. And then I told my husband, it was like, probably like the 28th or something. I I hadn't really told him yet, like, this was going to be a forever thing. And so when I, I sat him down and I like basically told him, like, I like the way this is going. And like, I've made a decision that I'm never drinking alcohol again. And he was like pretty surprised I think like in my head, I had already made the decision and I had already told my best friend. So it was like, I was a little surprised that he was surprised, but I wasn't saying it out loud.
0: You're like, why can't you read my yeah, mind?
1: You're not reading my mind. Like I've thought about this all month and you're just now finding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> so he actually still hasn't drink with me this whole time. So we're at 113 days today.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: So he doesn't say forever though. And he changes it. He's like, maybe when I feel like it and he'll say that. But then I actually just planned a trip for us to go to Costa Rica in the fall as kind of like a celebration of like the new life that we have. And so we're like working out a lot and like eating well and trying to get in really good shape to like go on this vacation and it'll be like a big, you know, alcohol free first to go on this type of and we're staying that like all inclusives and stuff too. So it'll just be like totally different. So he says like he definitely doesn't want to drink for that. And then he said like maybe he'll go a whole year without it. So I do get a little nervous like thinking there could be a point where he starts drinking again because I do think part of the fact that it's been so easy for me is because he's like been in it with me the whole time. And it's like, we don't drink anymore at night. So if he were to still do that, it could be a little bit different, but I, I, I think I'm comfortable enough like that. And I know it's like what I want for me. And I don't want to have to force it upon him, even though it's really nice. And I love it. Like, I do want (laughs) him to be able to make his own decisions. But like, we both agree that we don't want our kids like seeing us drink every night. And like, that's like my main thing is to like break the generational cycles of alcohol abuse in my family. And so- I've expressed that to him and he like has verbalized that if he does ever, you know, drink, it's not going to be at all the way that it used to be for us.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so proud of you. You have stopped it. I don't know. I always think about myself as a little girl and like to go back and just to tell her like everything is going to be okay. All of this madness that you're living through, you're going to see it and you're going to make something really good out of it you're gonna grow and you're gonna blossom and you're gonna pave the way and that's what you're doing and I'm just I'm so proud of you and for coming on here and for sharing your story because I know like I know it's fucking scary and intimidating and like you see headphones and a microphone and you're like
1: what Yeah, I've never really talked about any of this stuff out loud before. I just I did feel like I wanted to get it out and like that I owed it to myself to like be proud of what I've done.
0: Yes. Be proud of you. I hope you can feel that right in the center of your chest that you're just so proud of yourself.
1: I do. I I am.
0: Good. And that you can trust yourself. Yes. Because like you are trustworthy, right? And it's the alcohol that bastard that got in the way for a while and not anymore.
1: Yeah. And just like I used to get like so much fear. Like I love the holidays, but I would always like dread them coming up because I just always had this like dread that like I was going to do something I didn't want to do. And like now I just don't feel that anymore at all. And it's so much better. And I'm so much more present with my kids and I'm so much calmer. Like I could feel my brain changing. Like I really can. Like I'm not as reactionary. Like I can stop, take a breath and like react in a calm way where before I just feel like my brain didn't function like that. Like it was just short circuited to like lose it a lot easier. I really do feel like so much in my body and my mind and everything like is changing and i'm just becoming like a person that i want to be
0: yeah i can see it and when you come to the meetings like i love seeing you show up there because i i just know you're just like fully present you can see the light behind your eyes like you could just tell you can tell you're totally in it and it's amazing
1: and it's been so helpful like i just love it i'm so thankful for all of you guys
0: Oh, my God, You're
1: just gonna make me
0: cry. <laughs> I'm so glad. I mean, i I created it just f- like for you. Like we are so similar, you know, in our stories and, and that it's so easy to stay quiet and and just like steeped in our shame and not talk about the struggle that we have. And once we start talking about it, we realize we're so not alone. Yeah, and like that's all it takes is just and and That's not all because it's like super brave to open our mouths and start talking about what we're feeling and what we're afraid of. But I love our community so much and to be in those meetings and just like see everybody nodding, you know, like we could share our deepest shame and everyone's like, yep.
1: Yeah. Everyone's so accepting and helpful and it is just so nice to know you're not alone. I think we all kind of go through like the initial phases, like feeling really alone. Yeah, like, that's definitely how I felt for years. And then like, now I'm not alone. Like I can reach out to people. Like I know they all understand what I'm going through. Like, I feel like I can be a friend to them. So it's just, it's just so much better.
0: It's so much better. Thank you. Thank you for opening up your heart and sharing your story. And I'm just so proud of you and amazed. And this will undoubtedly help so many moms listening to
1: this. I hope so. All the stories have really helped me. So I wanted to pay it back.
0: Well, you did in spades. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye.